Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 10, Biblical Definition of Manhood. The speaker is Bill Howard. Um, okay, core contributions for men and women today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay out and sort of take a step back and look at our culture. And we're going to look at manhood and womanhood and the core contribution of men and women throughout history. Okay? And make a couple observations. One observation about men in general, and one broad observation about women in general. Okay? And remember, it's in general. As we are sociologically, as men move through a culture and women move through a culture, there are two things each one really brings to the table in a culture. The first thing here, point A, let's talk about women. Women are the nurturers of life. Okay? So in the big scheme of things, in a culture, women's core contribution, their core role, and that is, is they're a nurturer of life. And where that core contribution is honored, society prospers. In other words, when we elevate women within that role, the society actually prospers. We are going to take a look at the Bible and uh, so turn to 1 Timothy 2.15. And in this, the issue here for women is not what a woman can do. Okay? This is not something where they're confined to this. The issue here is not what a woman can do, but it rather is what a woman must never forget. And that is that she has, honestly, a reminder about every 30 days of her transcendent cause. And that is that she has something within her which has the ability to carry life. And if you're married, you will recognize that uh, I don't think I've ever met a married woman, quite honestly, who does not want to be a mother. Now, she may want to limit what kind of numbers of children she mothers, but, but generally speaking, most women have this innate desire to want to nurture and to mother. And by the way, if they're not doing it with kids, they're doing it with a pet. They're doing it with something. And you'll watch, they nurture. That's what they're wired to do. Okay, nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. So what we want to see here then, guys, is uh, this contribution is so important. Uh, in fact, when our culture was starting in the mid-1800s, there was an interest why America was prospering so greatly. Because on the landscape of human history, there's never been a culture like our culture who has reached the pinnacle of prosperity. There's never been a culture as prosperous as ours, ever. And so the question for us in the development of our culture in the mid-1800s, there was a guy named Alex de Tocqueville who was a French sociologist. And uh, he, he didn't particularly... I don't know what the date he was, but here's what his comment was with regard to our culture. He said this, For my part, I have no hesitation in saying 
that although the American woman never leaves her domestic sphere and in some respects is very dependent within it, talking about the mid-1800 American woman, uh, and she's dependent within it, nowhere does she enjoy a higher station. If anyone asks me what the chief cause of the extraordinary prosperity and growing power of this nation called America is, I should answer that it is due to the superiority of their women. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? But it was in the domestic area of life where she was valuing the core contribution. Because, guys, in a culture, when you are in pioneering mode, when a man wakes up and a woman wakes up every day, it's pretty clear what you're supposed to do. Guys get up and go, I got to go provide and bring in some food for my family to eat. And the wife would say, I need to organize this retreat place, this safe haven, and take care of our kids and manage this particular domestic area. And not that men are not involved in it, but they understand they are responsible for it. Okay, so when a guy wakes up, he knows exactly what he has to do. When a culture moves from pioneering to prosperity, which is where we are today, guys wake up and go, I don't know why I'm on the planet. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Women wake up and they're, they're asking the same question. And the world, a prosperous culture, tells both men and women, a redefinition of what they're supposed to be and do. And so what you have today is you've got a lot of confused men and women, and that's why marriages don't do well in our culture. We have the worst marriages in the civilized world in America. You know why? Because we're confused. Remember, we talked about confused people create major problems. And so let's take a look then in the role of the woman here, her primary core contribution, which is to be a nurturer of life in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And I will guarantee you by the time you walk out of here, at least as we move into here, it's going to create a little bit of tension in your soul because it's a very controversial passage. Okay, so 1 Timothy 2, 15. And I think we've talked about this before, but in verse 11, it says, Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. And again, those are fighting words, correct? Uh, I don't think that would probably go well this evening if you talk to your wife that way. Uh, he's talking in particular within the church. But here's the question, guys. The bigger question you've got to step back and ask is why is he saying this to Timothy who's going to go and minister in a city called Ephesus that is part of the Roman Empire? Now, I may have mentioned this, but the average Roman woman had four abortions in her lifetime. Uh, they were very industrial. Remember the Roman culture at this time in history, they were in the prosperity stage. They were in the stage of waking up every day going, I'm not sure why I'm on the planet either. And by the way, you know what indicates when a culture <coughs> reach, reaches 
the stage just before disintegration. You know what indicates that, guys? They become sportsaholics. It's where the Colosseums were built, all the different kinds of Roman games, all the things. Because when people reach prosperity stage, they become spectators to sports. Sound familiar? That's why we're paying guys today in America, you know, $60 million in 10 years to play football. It's, are you kidding me? It's crazy. Ah, anyway, but that's where we are. Just interesting. And so in this culture, I want you to know when Paul pins the words to tell Timothy, listen, men have lost their understanding of who they're supposed to be in their core contribution. And so have women. And so when these people transition their trust away from themselves back into Jesus Christ, and, and now they're being reformed back to this original design that God started in the book of Genesis. And that's what he wants to do here. Because, now notice this, verse 13. So why does he say these things? Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created. Remember we talked about that last week. Then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived. But the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. So, you know, we get beat up a lot for this, don't we? That being a man and we're the ones that took on the fall. Well, it's because when she was being accosted by the serpent, remember he was there with her and what did he do? Nothing. That's where he got in trouble. However, she is not without the culpability of her decision. She has the responsibility borne upon her for what she did. So what did she do? See, it wasn't Adam who was deceived. She, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. How did she do that? You know how she did it, guys? She kept talking. Did you know the average man speaks about 10,000 words a day? The average woman speaks over 25,000 words a day. That's amazing, isn't it? So women speak twice as much as men. So what he's saying here is what got her in trouble, and I'm going to say this, it may sound rather blunt, but what got her in trouble was her mouth. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And so that's why he's saying, listen, Oftentimes, if a woman comes into a scenario and she just starts talking and talking and talking, and she may be a very good communicator and very powerful with her words, what happens is if she's not careful, she will get into trouble. That's all he's saying. Because that's what got Eve into trouble. So, what does a woman need to be reminded of? And here's where we're going to go, verse 15. But women shall be preserved. And the word here is saved or delivered from. Uh, a woman shall be preserved or saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith, love, sanctity with self-restraint. So what's it saying there? Well, there's two key phrases we have to understand 
before we can make a determination of what this means, the interpretation of this. The first is they. Who's the they? It says, but women shall be preserved although through the bearing of children if they. So is it they, the women, or they, the children? And the they here is attached to the children. So in other words, here's what it means. A woman will be delivered from, I'm going to just lay it out. A woman will be delivered from the foolishness of Eve. If she does not forget that her core contribution is to care for her children, because when they grow up with love, sanctity, and with self-restraint, that is where she will find most satisfaction in life. That's pretty much what that passage is saying. And if you talk to a woman who's 60 years old, even if she's been in the marketplace, I'll guarantee you she is not going to talk about her work in the marketplace. She will talk about her children and her grandchildren with either great admiration or great regret. Because as a woman gets older, it's those relational connections that she's wired for is where she'll find her most satisfaction. Make sense? That's all he's saying. Okay? So, number two, as we go on here, women are happiest not when given position and power, but when the creative contributions of the maternal role are upheld. That's from Margaret, Margaret Mead, who, by the way, was uh, essentially a pretty strong woman, and yet she concluded as an anthropologist observing cultures that where women most enjoy life is when their maternal roles are upheld. Uh, here's what Stephen Clark said uh, about the feminist movement because uh, here the feminist movement, especially the one that started in the 70s here in America, it said the modern feminist movement ostensibly a movement for women normally devalues the very thing that women feel the greatest desire to do. Now think about this. And this happened, guys, in the last 30 years. And it's one of the reasons why I believe marriages are eroding in America. A lot of it is because of the men. Some of it is because women have decided to move in a direction that undermines the family and their core contribution. I've always told uh, women when I get to speak with women that I don't care if you're married to Billy Graham or Gandhi or whoever you admire. If you're unwilling to follow, how is he going to lead? I mean, is he going to beat you up? You know, manhandle you? That's not going to work, is it? In other words, if a woman is unwilling to submit to a role created for her by God, not by man, but by God. And by the way, this role is not a doormat. It is coming alongside and joining a man where a man and a woman together reflect who? God. See, God created himself male and female. 
So if a man distorts what he's supposed to be and do, then the image of God is distorted from those who are looking at that couple. And if the woman doesn't do what she's supposed to do, the image of God is distorted for those who are looking at that couple. See, marriage, guys, is bigger than you may have ever thought. It is literally an invisible, or it's a visible image of an invisible God. Or it's not. It's a distortion of that. And that's why the way God wired life is that every child born then into the world in an ideal sense is born into a family, family existing of a man and a woman, each one living out their core identity. So that whether it's a boy or a girl, they both understand, I see what I'm supposed to do and be and why I'm on the planet too. Is it no wonder, again, in America, you have so much social dysfunction? <coughs> because as Abraham Lincoln once said, the strength of America lies in the homes of its people. And you want to destroy culture, guys? The way you destroy culture is destroy the family. That's how you get the kids. That's how you destroy the next generation. Right? Anyway, let's go on here. And by the way, he said this movement normally devalues the very thing that women feel the greatest desire to do, which is to be a wife and a mother. The effect of the feminist movement has largely made women feel the disadvantage of being female more acutely, and it puts them under greater pressure to compete with men. And so in the feminist movement, the three basic aspects of what comes out of that is that a wife and mom is a secondary core value. She is the most important thing on the planet, not her husband and not her children. And then it makes a woman feel that if, if she can't compete, she's disadvantaged. Because the idea of competition is the idea of equality. And so uh, what you have then is a lot of times women marry now and in a marriage they're not seeing themselves to complete their husbands, but rather they compete with their husbands, which will destroy the relationship. And then lastly, careerism is really valued over everything else. If not, she's disadvantaged. Okay? That's kind of where we are. I know those are pretty direct words, guys. And, um, but nonetheless, I want to lay it out just so that you can understand why our culture is where we are today. Because we are in disarray. Anybody not agree with that? It's interesting, isn't it? Okay. How about men now? Let's talk about us. Guys, point B. Men then, if that's what women are to do, then what are men? Men are the bearers of destiny. As men go, so goes society. So in other words, our job is to care. It's sort of the idea of the Titanic. Remember the men of the Titanic? It's to, it's to literally care for men and or for women and children. That that is what we're to be, the men of the Titanic, to care for women and children. And in that, the culture goes. Uh, now, 
men are the bearers of destiny. That sounds like a pretty amazing statement, doesn't it? Let me just read to you guys uh, a little bit of history from two families that were compared and contrasted in the state of New York. Okay? Two guys, two different guys, each one married to a different woman, not from themselves, but from each other. And the first guy's name is Max Jukes. He was an unbelieving man, uh, and he married a girl of like character. And here's what's known about his descendants. 310 became professional vagrants. 440 physically wrecked by lives of debauchery and cleanliness. 130 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years each, seven murders. 100 alcoholics, 60 habitual thieves, 90 public prostitutes. None of the legacy of Max Jukes made any significant contribution to society. In fact, they cost the state of New York $1,200,000 to manage his legacy. Now, how's that? Now, by contrast, one, other, one guy who married a, a godly man, married a godly woman, his name is Jonathan Edwards, and here's his known descendants. 300 became clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors, 120 college professors, 110 lawyers, 30 judges, 14 presidents of universities, numerous giants in American industry, three United States congressmen, and one vice president of the United States. Do you see that, guys? The power of a man in his core contribution on how one man can literally, through his legacy, change a culture, impact a culture. You start producing offspring like Max Jukes. Let me tell you, the, the, one of the biggest industries in America today, you know what it is? Prisons. We can't build them fast enough. My, my brother used to be the uh, director for the state of Idaho for the corrections department. And, and basically, around the country, they, they're, they're building prisons as fast as they can. It is a huge private business. By the way, if you want to invest in stock in any prison system, it's a good investment because it's going to get full. Right? So, why? Because where men go, so goes a culture. That's how powerful we are. In Genesis 2 through 3, the man was created by God with a unique social and spiritual leadership in mind. Much was lost and twisted, guys, and, and distorted in the fall, but what the redemptive process of Jesus Christ is meant to do is to move a man back to that original design that God had in the beginning. And that is this idea of leadership. Number two, defection from this leadership spells trouble not just for the man, but for everybody. Because when the men get lost... And when the man fell, so to speak, moved away from God, so did the women, the children, and even the Bible describes all of creation fell. <clears throat> By the way, the Bible would literally say, don't you ever heard this? 
But you know why there's tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis and such? It's because of a decision of one man. How about that? Because we like to blame God. Why would God let that happen? Well, God didn't want it to happen. God gave man a choice because he gave man the responsibility to care for creation. But when man chose to walk away from God, not only was mankind cursed, but so was the earth. And so all this turmoil, all this chaos, all this death, all this violence is actually points back to man. If you ever heard that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Micah, did you have a question? Number one. Number one. The man was created by God with unique social and spiritual leadership in mind. A unique social and spiritual leadership in mind. Did you get it? Yeah. All right. So let's begin to unpack this, guys, biblically with regard to who we are. Because what you have then in the Bible, okay, this book is an amazing book. And in the book is, is uh, maybe I've mentioned before, the Bible is essentially a book of contrasts. Uh, light, dark, lost, found, God, the devil, right, wrong, heaven, hell, temporal, eternal, so on and so forth. And what you have here is you're going to have in the Bible another contrast is between two men. And the identity of these two men, the first Adam, the Bible refers to in Genesis. And then the Bible talks about another Adam. Each one are the firstborns. One of creation and the other one of salvation, of new life. And so let me play this out here for us, okay, guys? Here are the two guys in the Bible that essentially when it comes to the masculine uh, vision, there are two visions portrayed. The first is Adam and the second is Jesus Christ. Okay, where do we get this? If you got your Bibles, you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to discover here where the Apostle Paul is going to lay out a vision for really all of life that comes from two men because, again, men are the bearers of destiny. And these two guys impact the world and life in a phenomenal way. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 through 49. It says here, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So, here's what you got, guys. If I could lay out a chart, I would put one column and put the first Adam. The second column, I'd put the last Adam. You have the first Adam brings death. He's a living soul no more. That's it. He lives and dies. The second Adam brings life. So all of a sudden, you have this unbelievable clarity. Because here's the deal. What I've discovered in my journey about myself and in work with other guys, there's essentially two kinds of guys. There are guys who move through life to see what they can put into it. 
can I do for you, Colby? How can I help you? What do you need from me? How can I make your load lighter, not heavier? How can I help you? Versus, what have you done for me lately, Kevin? Because you know what? I'm so frustrated because you're not doing what I want you to do because it's all about me. Now, I wouldn't say it that clearly. But every one of you know, usually there are two kinds of men and it's one of those two. Right? Some of you may work for a guy like this. Some of you may work for a guy like that. Right? And usually one brings great blessing and one is a pain in the neck. Right? I always say that the men can be compared to a vacuum cleaner. Because a vacuum cleaner has basically two ports. The blowing port and the sucking port. Depends upon what hose you stick it on. And you know, men are like that, aren't they? There are some men that can move into the room and they're trying to suck life out of everything. There's other men that move into a room and they're, they're baseballs. They're not wiffle balls, they're baseballs. They're, they're guys who give life. They're seeking to impart life versus others who are seeking to take it. Now, generally speaking, the men who are taking it's not because they don't, they don't want to do this. It's because they're ignorant. But I can just tell you, in the masculine journey, ignorance is not bliss. It's foolishness. And it will result in a, a destructive life. So, what you have then, guys, is these two guys, the Bible's going to contrast. One living, one brings death. However, verse 46, the spiritual, now you got to listen carefully, the spiritual is not the first. That's the second Adam. That's Jesus Christ. He came later. The first Adam is the natural, then the spiritual. Now, do you remember um, Nicodemus? Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus is going, he, all he's thinking is the first, the natural birth. What do you mean? i got to go into my mother's womb again? No. He said, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So every man is born in water in the natural. But then the second Adam, every guy's got to be reborn into the Spirit. Spiritually. If you're going to get to heaven. So every guy comes in in a natural birth. That's what he's saying. That's the first birth. We all have an endemic nature. We all have Adam. That's, that's in all of us. However, not every man has the second Adam, Jesus Christ. But the second one is how you get into heaven. Not every, everyone's going to be condemned because of the first. But you've got to be born again into the second. Does that make sense? That's why we talk about that. So he goes on here to say, verse 47, The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second is from heaven, heavenly. So as is the earthy, so all those who are earthy, as in the heavenly, so those who are heavenly. So just as we are born of the image of the earth, earthly, if you have been reborn in Christ, you'll now bear the image of the heavenly. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not 
progressively moving toward becoming more like Jesus Christ, something's wrong as a man. Something's wrong. Okay? Because it's natural to be a life-sucking person. <laughs> it is not natural to be a life-giving soul as a man. It's supernatural. But if you're born of Christ, then the movement is to become more of this way. And that's why we're here, right? So point two here. Or, and so what you have, guys, in this is you got two men, you got two ways of life, you got two destinies, you got two captains of humanity in general, and in masculinity in particular. So number two, Adam and Christ stand over each other as two great figures at the entrance of two worlds, two creations, the old and the new. And in their actions and fate lies the decision of all who belong to them. Because all men are comprehended in one of these two guys. So essentially, if we sit down at a table, you can kind of go, is that guy more like the first or the second? Kind of like that, right? Who's he, who is he most like, the first or the second? And in your life, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you can go like this, God, I know I'm born naturally in the first, but I want to learn to act and be more like the second. <clears throat> Did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that that is literally your mission? The Bible says in Romans 8 that our job, that he works all things together for good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of Christ. Right? So that's our job. So point B, these two guys are leaders of two distinct spiritual destinies. And so you have two races, essentially. You got the race of the life giver and the race of the life taker. You got two destinies, heaven and hell. You got two generations, the godly and the ungodly. And so here's the thing, guys. When you, again, when you wake up in the morning, unless you come to Christ and submit and yield your life and will to Him on a regular basis, your default switch is the first Adam. That's your default switch. That's where you'll naturally default to. Okay, always toward the sucking side. <laughs> Unless something else you do on a regular basis to, to turn that default switch off and to go into the custom mode, which is to be like Christ, okay? So, um, C, they are leaders of two distinct masculine identities. So at the end of our lives, guys, we'll ultimately stand in the shadow of one of these two guys. In judgment, it's like if I stand before Jesus Christ in judgment, I'm going to be in the shadow. I'm going to be in the shadow of being more like Christ, or am I going to be in the shadow of more like Adam? Make sense? 
And so that's why, as Mark Twain once said about the Bible, he said, the thing that bugs me most about the Bible, it's not what I don't understand, it's what I do understand. Because it makes you go, I gotta change. I gotta make a decision. I gotta make it, I gotta decide what I'm gonna do and be. So here's, let's take these two guys now and play them out a little bit more. And then we're gonna, next week, contrast these two guys. And what's gonna play out, guys, is that each man had essentially three tasks and they're both similar. And we're going to find as we lay out next week these two tasks, we're going to see that there are four areas that they were different in. And that's going to be a, that's going to fall out from there a four-part definition of what a man is as we observe these two guys, okay? But before we get there, let's just do a little more observation of these two guys. The first one here, the first Adam, uh, represents manhood set on a natural course. Okay? And that is that the, the, a man on a natural course, the Adamic course, is a guy who surrounds himself with earthy and worldly. He focuses on basically trying to find pleasure at the core of his life. In other words, at the core of, it, of an addicted person, of an alcoholic or a drug addict, at the core is a desire for pleasure. Okay, I've got to have it. And so I might even rob, steal, and kill to get pleasure. Okay, that's at the core. And so a natural man, now that, that's in an extreme sense, but you have people today who are so addicted to prosperity and making money that they want to make money for themselves. Because at the core of money, they believe, is peace. And so they surround themselves with worldly pleasures at the core to try to find a sense of meaning and value in the world. It's a natural course. People do it every day. All you got to do is turn on your TV and you'll be marketed with it. Right? Second thing is this is a manhood based on self-reason. I know that's a little phrase there, but self-reason, instinct, and reaction. So it's a manhood based on self-reason, instinct, and reaction. Now, somebody once said that there are two kinds of pilots. There are old pilots and bold pilots. But there's never been an old, bold pilot. I remember asking a guy, well, why is it? He's a pilot. He said, well, uh, bold pilots fly by the seat of their pants. They fly by their own reason, their own instinct, their own gut. And so when they get vertigo, for example, like John Kennedy Jr., if you remember, he thought he was going up, but guess which way he was going? Straight down. But he thought he was going up. You see, if he was instrument rated, the thing that always disturbed people about his crash was he was instrument rated. Why did he not trust his instruments? Because the reason why an airplane has instruments is so you can see which way you're going. Even when you don't feel that you're going the right way. And see, guys, we're like that, aren't we? 
And so a man, a natural man, an endemic man, is sort of a guy flying that is not instrument rated. All he is left with is his own self-reason, instinct, and gut. And you'll find these guys who essentially are self-made, self-decided, self-willed, self-contained. Life rests in himself, and he lives by what he thought was right, not by what he was told was right. And so you'll talk to these guys and they'll go, I did not mean to screw my marriage up so bad. That was not what I wanted to do. I had no idea that I was going to do this with my kids. I didn't know working all the time and not being there was going to met. I had no idea. You see, these guys don't have a bad intent. They're just ignorant. But they're self-reasoned. Okay? And like a bold pilot, when it's foggy and you don't know where to go and you don't know how to trust the instruments, you know where you fly into? The side of a building or the side of a mountain. And you read about those guys. And you read about them every day. That's a natural man. This first Adam is a manhood that draws life from others. Uh, I know that I'm repeating some of this, but... This is a guy that looks to give others life to him. He's self-absorbed and he sees others as there for him. It's a manhood with temporal meaning only. Meaning there's no life beyond himself. He can't see spiritual. He's only got one vision of life. I remember when I went to Hawaii with my wife on our 10th anniversary a number of years ago. And... We landed, and of course, the blue ocean was just phenomenal, beautiful. And what we discovered is, is that uh, that's, a, that's a pretty view, a cool vision. But then I discovered something unique, and that was that I could actually uh, stick a, snor a snorkel on me and a mask and stick my head under the water, and I realized there's a whole other view under here. And then we snorkeled, and it was phenomenal. And uh, all of a sudden I realized, but to snorkel and, and to hold your breath, you know, sometimes you'd see things under the water. And I'd go, I got to go see that. And then you go, oh. you know, and then have you ever done that? And then all of a sudden you're, you're getting up as fast as you can. Because you you're limited. You're limited because you're in a world or environment that is not natural. And I remember... We decided to scuba dive because I thought I have got to get down there and hang out because it's unbelievable. So we found you can scuba dive and put an oxygen tank. And remember, we learned in the ocean, and they actually three in the ocean. We learned in the ocean, scary. And then they stuck this regulator on your mouth and you go, "Okay, listen. What we want you to do is stick this in your mouth. Then when you're going to go under the water and breathe, listen. I've never in my life ever gone under the water and breathed." So it was so unnatural. I remember the first time I did it, I went over you're almost like, oh, do it. And all of a sudden you go, and then you go, God, I'm breathing underwater. It was the coolest thing. And there I was swimming around with the turtles and stuff. And I realized, you know, there's a whole nother world that is actually 
I get to enjoy, but it's not natural. See, I had to have something outside of me to give me the ability to do what otherwise I couldn't do for myself. And that's that I had to have an oxygen tank and a regulator, right? And that's where real masculinity goes, guys. Because natural masculinity will never get you under the water. You'll just be living on the surface. There's no transcendence. It's just one dimension. And that's a natural man. But there's more life than just one dimension. And then lastly here, this is living soul and no more, which results in death. Okay? Living soul and no more. And you can write in the phrase there, death. So this guy brings death. Okay, the second Adam, by contrast, look on the right side. The second Adam represents uh, a manhood set on a supernatural course, a heavenly course. And so this is a course that moves beyond, guys, again, the surface, beyond the tangible to the intangible. It be, moves beyond the seen to the unseen. Because there are things in life, by the way, that a natural man longs for and he thinks he can purchase and buy because all he's got is a natural course. So he acquires for himself a worldly view for self-pleasure at the core. But here's the deal. What he really longs for is actually over on this side, the supernatural. Which what he longs for, you know what it is? Peace, joy, love, kindness, gentleness, faith, self-control. See, those things, guys, you can't buy. They're intangible. They're spiritual. You can't wrap yourself and purchase it at a store. If you could, boy, we'd get, get rich, wouldn't we? But it's available through the second Adam. And so this guy, that's the, that's the heavenly course. And so uh, it's also a manhood based on revelation. In other words, he's not depending upon his own reason and instinct, but upon revelation. You see, this guy becomes instrument rated. And the way you get instrument rated is right here. Because you learn to listen to the word of God who will tell you what you're supposed to do. And then the issue of life is a man becomes, as the old song once said, Trust and what? So when I get up every day, all I got to do, listen, trust God who wrote this and obey it. And so here's the deal, guys. I've, I've met guys who regret not obeying the Bible. I have never met a man who's regretted obeying the Bible ever. Right, And so that's what we got to do. That's what this guy will do. And then uh, it's a manhood that gives life to others. Rather than taking it, he gives it. Guys, the characteristic of a life-giving man is a guy who, for those around him, are getting something from him. That's a characteristic of a life-giving man. 
Somebody once told me years ago, uh, you show me a wife who's beautiful before 40, she had something to do with it. But you show me a wife who's beautiful after 40, her husband had something to do with it. In other words, a lot of times guys will talk about marriage and you say, well, but all you got to do is just say, let me see your wife. I'd love to meet your wife. Because your wife is either getting something from you or you're taking something from her. You're making her load heavier or lighter by being married to you. And so one of the things you can do, guys, you want to do something really fun, but also very kind of scary, is go ask your wife and children this question. What's it like to live with me? What's it like, just say this, honey, what's it like to have me as your husband? What's it like to your kids? What's it like to have me as your father? Have you, what have you received? What do you receive from me being in your life? Okay? I challenge you to do it. <coughs> challenge you to do it. And then you can adjust from there. I, I remember the, the very first time I did this, I did it because, um, oh, I guess it's a number of years ago. I was going on vacation. My kids were little. And I realized the last thing you want to do when you go on vacation is plan on meeting somebody somewhere else. You know, you just want to not do that. But I, we did that. So man, we had to get out of the house at a certain amount of time to go meet another family at another place in another state at a certain time, which meant the race is on, right? Don't ever do that. And so I was leaving my house, it was just crazy. And what happened is, is uh, even when I pulled out, my minivan back tailgate was left open. And I started pulling out and I hit the garage door with my tailgate open. Okay, that's how hurried I was. Of course, when I did that, you can imagine how I'm expressing myself. <laughs> so we go on vacation, we come back home. I'm listening now to my voicemails. And this guy is now on the telephone speaking in a very harsh way. And you know what I discovered, guys, is that apparently what happened is when I was going on vacation, I had my cell phone. I just want to use to clip it on my side and I must have bumped the record button and I recorded myself for about 10 minutes. I recorded running into the garage door <laughs> and I remember listening to this. I didn't know who it was. And I'm going, but this guy has got a problem. <laughs> and then I heard, Samuel, get in the car. <laughs> I went, it's me. <laughs> and that's where I, I, I remember going, oh my goodness. This is not, that's a natural man right there. That's not a supernatural man. That is, that's just the way it works. And so that's where I came back and I, I, boy, I just was so convicted because I realized, wow, could, it's almost like I went back 30 years being a kid myself, watching my dad do the same dang thing. And I thought, here I am just like my dad. And so I went to my, my kids and my wife and that's where I started this process. And I do this on a, 
about every six months, how am I doing? What's it like to be with me? One thing that comes up inevitably is my anger. Dad, when you're mad, which listen, you got four boys, you could get mad. <laughs> right, Larry? Amen. Yeah, man. They just, boy, they can tick you off, man. But I'm telling you, it's, it's bar none the one thing. So here's what I do, guys. Every time I do this, and if there's something I've done, I'll say, Dad, and I'll say, what is it that I did? What happened? They might tell me, well, when you were came in and you were mad and you threw that suitcase or whatever. That really scared me. Yeah. I'll just listen. Then I'll say, Brooks, I'm so sorry. I'm just sorry. And I want to ask you, would you please forgive me? You know, that oftentimes they might get tears in their eyes and they'll say, yeah, Dad, I forgive you. It's just a cleansing time. Because here's what I do know, guys, as a guy. I, this is so natural over here to be light-taking, isn't it? Because I, I wake up with me every day. To live over here, I have to trust and obey and listen. And it's a choice. It's a, a passionate choice to move in this direction, but it's not natural. And all I know is that when I screw up over here, I've got to do what I know to be true here so that I can restore what's been done over here. <laughs> and that's why the cross brings us here. Because Christ did forgive us. And you've just got to go to him. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Lastly here, this guy is a manhood full of transcendent meaning. In other words, he sees life bigger than himself. And his kids, his wife, understand he's yielded to something bigger than himself. He's about something bigger than himself. And namely, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he's a life-giving spirit. He's a life-giving spirit. He brings life. That you can fill in there, life. Basically, death life. Remember, the, book, the Bible is a book of contrast. Two kinds of guys. Does that help clarify things a little bit, guys? A little bit? At least it does for me. When I go through this, every time I do it, I go, wow. It, at least now I go, I know what I need to do. I know what I am naturally doing, and I know what I can supernaturally become. And so I want to begin to move in this direction. And by the way, to go from the natural to the supernatural, you know what you got to have? There's a, there's a word. It's a spiritual word. It's used a lot. You know what it's called? Repentance. Repentance means to turn away and turn to. But a lot of times, guys, you will never turn away from one movement of life until you understand that there's another way. And I'm just telling you as men, there's another way. And it's the supernatural way. Once you begin to understand this identity of who you are as a real man, you can repent and turn away and say, okay, God, I see this. I don't want to do this. In fact, I'm sorry for this. And I realize I've brought some death. I've brought some chaos. I've brought some destruction. I've brought stuff on myself. I've done it. And I admit that. But I'm asking you, would you take over my life? And would you take my heart and give me a passion to move in your direction to become what you want me to be?